Romans 9, 24 through 29. But I want to begin reading in uh, verse 14. Romans 9, beginning in verse 14. All right, let me read here. Follow along with me. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he who has so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. He will say to me, then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does Molded say to its molder? Why have you made me this way? Why have you made me like this? Excuse me. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory? For vessels of mercy which he prepared, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Okay, here's our verse now. Continuing the thought, even us from whom even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the place where it was said, where It was said to them, you are not my people. There they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cried out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out a sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So we'll wade into this part here. Let's, let's pray together. Father, help us to understand this, Lord. This is, this is a bit difficult as well, but help us to, to be clear on it and to know how to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So my, uh, my dad is a bit of a jack-of-all-trades sort of guy. And uh, he, he started out his working career as um, helping his dad out uh, running a... Uh, rental company uh, store uh, in Grand Junction, Colorado. And there my dad learned a lot of things. Well, one thing he learned how to do was small engine repair. So he, could, he knew how to, how to repair small engines. And that was, um, you know, something that he learned early on. Later on then, when that business folded, my dad got into refrigeration and he learned how to do refrigeration for a supermarket there in Colorado, and he he got good at that, and so that was another thing he tucked under his belt. And then he, you know, he's 
along the way, he's learned how to do, you know, electrical work. And so he has that now. And, and he knows how to do farming and all these things. And so he, he, he's trying to retire from doing, um, uh, overseeing part of the operations at the onion storage. Um, he's not being very successful in retiring, but uh, he's trying to. And so he, um, but he, he just knows a lot. It's, it's fun to talk with him. Um, I, as a kid growing up, I would go up with him to the onion storage and watch him do electrical. And I remember um, helping him out some, but I remember him pointing to certain wires and saying, that wire coming in right there is 480 volts. 480 coming in. And that, you know, was kind of freaked me out a little bit. Wow, but he, he worked on it. He did very carefully, very respectfully of the amount of power coming in to that onion plant. And he, uh, he knew what he was dealing with, right? He knew the kind of power that was there coming into that wire. Well, what Paul is reminding us here in Romans 9 one thing he's making clear is God's power. And we need to know and remember who we're dealing with. This is God. And he is powerful and mighty. That he can do anything. There's nothing impossible for him. Nothing too hard for him. And so what, what Paul is talking about here, this is so encouraging, is that God is Mighty and powerful to save. He is mighty and powerful to save. And nothing whatsoever is going to stop him from his saving purposes. So it's, it's good to be reminded of that when you're thinking of your friends and your family members. And maybe even people you barely know or... Strangers you meet on the street who need to know Jesus and you want them to know him. You want them to follow him. You want them to become Christians, but they're not. We can come back to this, that God is mighty to save. He's powerful. He can do it. And here's the main idea this morning. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. So coming out of this, this difficult passage, we've just been studying about how God chooses some and doesn't choose others and how God is free in doing that. He can do whatever he wants. We saw that there in, uh, in verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And we want, we want to enter in here with our exertion, don't we? If I just arm wrestle that guy, maybe he'll get saved, you know? Put him in a headlock until he gives in, right? Get saved, come on! All right, no. It doesn't depend on that. God uses us, but it depends on God's mercy, His grace working powerfully in somebody's life. God can save anybody. God is free in doing that. So, so Paul is really connecting what he's just been talking about 
in God's power to save, God's freedom in doing that with verse 24, then he just begins to talk about Jews and Gentiles. Remember, he was talking about in in verses 6 through 13, it's been a few Sundays ago, he was talking about how God saves Jews, not because they are descended from Abraham biologically, but because he chooses some of the Jews to be born again. They place their faith in Christ. Not every Jewish person will be saved. So you're not saved because your daddy was a Christian or you you know. You're saved because God has worked in your life and you've placed your faith in Christ. That's what he's really getting at here. But then he continues that thought. He kind of So in verses 14 through 23, he is he goes off and talks about God and God's choosing and not choosing and then he comes back to the argument about God choosing some from the Jews. So he says in verse 24, even us from whom he is called, not from the Jews only, but then he also brings one more thing to bear here, also from the Gentiles. Whoa, he brings the Gentiles into this discussion. Okay. Everybody's not a Jew, right? He brings this into the discussion now. I want you to notice the word called there. Even us whom he has called. God's calling is connected to his choosing. You see that. We've just been talking about God choosing, and then he calls. And so that means that if God has chosen you and he calls you, you're coming. (laughs) You're coming. Look back just a couple pages. Romans 8.30 says this. Someone can read that if you want. Romans, just, just verse 30. Romans 8, verse 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Right. Yeah. So you notice that there, this is this line of called the golden chain of God's salvation. Well, it begins predestination. He predestines those whom he predestines, he also called. It's the same thing that he's talking about in Romans 9, but just in, just in summary form, just a little sentence there. So God predestines and he calls. Well, here's the thing. Let's look a little further at this and look at two truths about this fact that God can save anybody. Here's the first truth. We looked at Romans 8.30. First truth is God saves those we don't expect. The Gentiles, right, were a surprise to the Jews. Wait, what? These guys, these are on the outside. They're on the outside. They're, they're not. You're saving them, the Gentiles, too? And then Paul, Paul quotes the Old Testament. A Jewish person reading this couldn't get away from it. As indeed he says in Hosea, uh, and there, these are, in verse 25, it's uh, quoting Hosea 2.23. And you can just write that down. We're not going to go there, but you can go back and look at that. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And who are who, her who is not beloved, I will also I will call beloved. Okay? And verse 26, and this is a quotation from Hosea 1.10. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. 
So Paul is relating this, these verses to the Gentiles and saying, God saves the Gentiles. Those who weren't his people, he has called my people. Those who were not loved now are God's beloved. Those who are, who are not God's people, he's now called sons of God. Your son, sons and your children of the living God, you Gentiles who are saved. And so God can save anybody. He saved the Gentiles who were outside of the Jewish faith. The Jewish people looked at them as wicked outsiders. You know, today we could say, well, we, could, we have our own outsiders in our thinking. The homeless people, the prostitutes, the terrorists, the serial killers. But God can save them too. Because it doesn't depend on whether you were born into a Christian family. It depends all on God's mighty, powerful grace. I want to share a video with you. And Bob had mentioned this to me um, on our Bible study night. Of a man who was, you know, we're thinking a lot about the terrorism that's happening in the Middle East and with Israel and Hamas and well, this guy used to be Hezbollah. And I, I, I found his story, his video, about what God did. So we can watch that. Um, we'll click on this next one and make this, make this work. When an Iranian ex-Hezbollah shows up in Ezra and everyone wants to know why, I'm here. You were born in Iran. Correct. You were a Hezbollah fighter for three years. Correct. I was on my way to the United States to convert Christians into Islam. And um, I had 30 illegal passports at that time. I was arrested, uh, put in jail in Malaysia. I was a dedicated Muslim. Not only prayed the prayers, but I read the Quran once every 10 days, cover to cover. So I was very dedicated. In my time in jail, uh, one day as I'm praying, a man appears in front of me, normal size, but his being shines like light. And this light was not a normal light. This light carried identity in it. You knew that he's holy and he's just. And instantaneous I knew I am not. Even though I had prayed so many prayers, even though I had fasted so much and I had read the Quran and I had volunteered to walk on landmines or I had participated in hanging people trying to please Allah. I knew, even though I have kept all the rules and regulation of Islam, I knew I am not just, and I'm not holy. And I knew the only just thing for him to do is to kill me. But I didn't want to die, so I ran to the corner of the room, literally held my head in my arms and just cried out, shouting, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. 
him is the same person. So I said, I don't understand. What is your name? I said, Jesus Christ. And someone grabbed all my bones out of my body, it just fell. I took a piece of meat to the ground and I just began to weep. You can watch the rest of that video. Um, and it's from the CBN News Network, and you can look it up and find that. But he, he goes on to talk about how, how he, he met with a Jewish, uh, Jewish people in Israel, and he had this moment of, you know, really uh, forgiveness, you know, uh, for him. They, they forgave him, and they just, you know, he was able to heal things up with, with some Jewish people there in Israel. And he's, he's starting those own ministry and stuff. Um, but it's just really powerful to think about that and um, think about the fact that here is a terrorist that God reaches down and grabs, says, and appears to him. I mean, um, from my understanding, Islamic people take a, put a lot of stock in their dreams. And here is Jesus in his grace meeting him in a dream or in a vision, what it was, whatever it was that he, he encountered and met with him there. And God, let that be an encouragement to you that God can save anybody. The people in your life who you are praying for and longing for, God loves to save the ones we don't expect. He, I think about the Apostle Paul, right? He's the, he was a terrorist, right? He was killing Christians and yet... God saved him. He did a 180. So we need to look to the power of God. He can do it. And the exciting thing about it is that God uses our prayers. He doesn't just, he he chooses to use our prayers. And so don't think that prayer is, doesn't do anything. Sometimes it feels that way. Like they're just hitting the ceiling and not doing anything. But God uses them. And you pray for people. He's using it in a mighty way. So don't stop. I know there's people in my life who I've been praying for for years. Some family members who I've been praying for for years and years and years and years. But I'm not going to stop. Not going to stop. Because God can do it. And so we see that here, that God saves the unexpected. He saves people like that, like terrorists. He saves people who have, have lived terrible lives, and yet he brings them out of that to show how mighty and powerful he is to save. Okay, so we have that, right? Here's the second truth here we find in this text. God doesn't always save those we would expect. Let's look Verse 27 through 29. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord Lord will carry out a sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. And so what Paul is saying here is that you would expect all of Israel to be saved. You know, like we said, based on their own 
Because they're related to Abraham. Because they're one of God's chosen people. But what he's saying here is he's saying that the true Israel is a remnant of people who have placed their faith in Christ, of Jewish people who have placed their faith in Christ. And he's quoting Isaiah to prove that, to show that. We find him quoting Isaiah 10, 22 through 23 in verse 27. Though the number of the sons of Israel be of the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. Verse 28. So those those are from Isaiah 10, 22 through 23. And then verse 29 is from Isaiah 1, 9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So he's really wanting to make the point strongly that we are not saved in any way, shape, or form by works. By family ancestry. We can think things like, well, I've, you know, I've been a church member for a long time. I, I go to church every Sunday. I do this, I do that, I volunteer at the soup kitchen, I, I, I you know, hand out uh, food and homeless people, all these things. You can say, well, but none of that will save you. Only Jesus will save you. Only, only by faith in Christ. God causes us to be born again, and we are able to place our faith in Christ. And there have been... <clears throat> People who, who we think, here's the thing, we, we think this person must be a shoo-in. Look how good they are. They're religious. They're, they're, they do all these wonderful things. They're good people. But what he's saying here is that doesn't mean you're a shoo-in. It's only through faith in Christ. I was reading recently about the story of George Whitfield, and George Whitfield was a preacher in the 1700s, and he went around and he preached in England and he preached in America, and he, through his preaching and the preaching of others, a revival started. Thousands upon thousands of people were getting saved, and it's called the, the First Great Awakening. It was a powerful movement in England and in America. Well, what happened is, as he was going along and as he was preaching, and um, pastors of the Church of England were getting upset with him. And they, so they said, you can't come and preach in this church. And so, so many churches began to, 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 to band together and say, nope, no way, you're not coming into our church to preach. And so what did he do? He began to preach in the fields. He just preached outside, and, and, and God used him in a mighty way. But as he did that, though, this is the amazing thing. As he was going along, and as he was preaching in various places, there were pastors getting saved. Well, I think, well, pastor, he's a shoo-in, isn't he? No. Only by God's grace. There was a dear couple in our church in Connell, and um, he since passed away, but um, they, they, um, he had been a pastor uh, for several years, 
uh, before he came to the Connell Church. He'd been a, been a pastor for quite a while before he realized that he wasn't really saved. Lord convicted him. And he got saved. And I remember him sitting in the, uh, just watching them sit, sit down, him and his wife, and just listening attentively to God's word every Sunday in Connell. God saved him. God saved him. So God saves, God saves the religious. God saves those who are way, out, way away from religion of any sort. God saves whom he saves. God saves people of Israel. Praise the Lord for that. And we, we've, we've been talking about, we need to pray for, for Israel. And pray that God would use this really difficult time among the Jewish people that, to, to, to bring those Jewish people to Christ. They have the Old Testament, right? They have, it's all there about Christ. We need to pray that God would help them see Christ in the Old Testament. And they, they would come to Christ. That God would raise up workers there who will work um, among the Jewish people. We just need to be reminded that in no way whatsoever are we ever, ever, ever saved by our works. Only by God's grace. That means that God loves you today. Not because of what you have done, but because of His grace. He loves you on the good days. He loves you on the bad days. His love isn't based on your good works or bad works. His love, He loves you because He's chosen to love you. We need to not assume that just because somebody's a, a religious person that they're saved, or just because somebody's a really good person or a good neighbor that they're automatically a shoe in they need to be born again. And that's what we need to pray for. For the, for the homeless person, for the prostitute, for the terrorist, and for the person sitting in the church pew. The person... Who's a good person, a good neighbor? We need to pray that God would grab onto them and cause them to be born again. And in all of this, we come right back to God and who He is and that He is mighty to save. So as you think about that, as you think about people in your life, who need to be saved, as you just think about situations in your life that you struggle with or whatever it is, you look to God and say, you know what? God is mighty. He is powerful. He is able to handle anything that comes my way. He is bigger than I can imagine. He's the one that measures the universe with um, light years. <laughs> We can never travel to the one end of the universe to another in a million lifetimes. But God is the God who created that. He is big. He is mighty. And He can handle your situation. He can handle the person that you're praying for. He is mighty. So let's look to Him and trust Him today and every day. Let's praise the God 
who saves. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, help, I pray that you'll help us to bring people before you this morning now. Let's just bring everybody that we're thinking about, that we're concerned about, bring them at your feet and say, Lord, you are able to work in this situation. You are the God who can bring, bring uh, uh, flowers in the to bloom in the desert, water in the desert. You're the, you're the God who can work miracles. And Lord, I pray that you will work miracles in people's lives, work miracles in situations that we're dealing with. Help us just to lay all this before your, at your feet and to just, to just trust in you, Lord, that you can handle it. You are able, Lord, more than able to accomplish everything that concerns me today. I think Paul would would be pleased if what we get out of Romans 9 is that God is just mighty. God is a big God. Lord, you are so mighty. Help us to trust. We ask that you bless the rest of our time now. In Jesus' name, amen.